When Nick was seven, he had a tough year, and he wrote about it in a letter to Santa Claus. Dear Santa, I had to give my dog away because he was digging too many holes. I'm seven years old. I'm in grade two. My cat died. He got run over. I would just like anything for Christmas. And on the back of the letter, my mom writes, P.S. Our cat did not get run over. That's Nick reading a letter he wrote to Santa Claus. And this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. I'm Dan Meisner. This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up by reading childhood and teenage writing on stage in front of a crowd. This time, recorded live at the Guild in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, we have poetry about the reproductive system, a very violent Easter story, and some accidental animal erotica. This stuff is weird and it is wonderful, and sometimes it can shed a little bit of light on who we are today. So think about who you were when you were a kid and stick around. A minute ago, we heard Nick's very sad seven-year-old letter to Santa Claus. And that was not the only piece of writing that Nick brought along to our Charlottetown show. He also brought his grade 10 English journal. You see, each week, Nick's English teacher assigned the class a topic. And each week, they had to write a journal entry on that topic. Now, a quick heads up, Nick's journal does include a cuss word, which we do not bleep. Because, as you'll hear, even though the journal writing assignment started out okay, things went downhill pretty quickly. September 4th, 2003. Second day of high school. My first day at Three Oaks was a little scary, but near the end of the day, it wasn't as bad. I'm very happy with all my courses and teachers. I hope that I can do well and enjoy my classes. September 18th. Some things that make me frustrated are this English class. (laughs) All we do is sit here and look at millions of stupid sheets that are boring. Well, except for when we play charades, but not when people try to strangle me. That's just fucking weird. (laughs) September 23rd, my morning routine. After I get out of the shower, I get dressed in whatever kind of clothes I want that morning, and then I walk downstairs and get some breakfast. Then I walk to school. On day one, I go into this English class and write in this stupid journal. (laughs) This journal makes absolutely no sense whatsoever to me. Like, really, there isn't much point. It's not going to, like, make our writing better or something. (laughs) Now there's nothing to write about. We brainstormed really stupid ideas that you could write maybe one or two sentences about, let alone a whole page. I really think you should just stop the whole journal idea. Nobody likes them. That's all for today. (laughs) In In the margins from my teacher, eight out of nine. So I'll jump to the end. 
Entry the last, November 7th. This being the last time writing in this journal, I shall reflect on the times past. <laughs> it's been a long journey. So, so many topics. Some okay, most extremely horrid. We have faced many battles along this long and winding road, which is coming to an all too sudden end. I will not miss these entries, since I've been waiting since the first of the year for them to end, so we wouldn't have to do them anymore. So this is goodbye, my journal, so long, and I hope some poor grade 10 finds you next year. And I'd just like to point out right now that I am now proud owner of a master's degree in English. When our next reader, Olivia, was in grade 10, she had to write a poem for biology class. Now, there were two requirements for this assignment. First off, the poem had to be about something related to biology. And second, it had to be Valentine's Day themed. Now, Olivia rose to this challenge, and she wrote a Valentine's themed biology poem called Ode to My Ovaries. But uh, I got in big trouble, I'll have you know, and almost failed the class for this. Whereas Ronnie McPhee wrote a poem about testicles and got to read it in front of the class. I know, I know, but I'm having my moment now. Oh, my dear uterus, you are so grand, made known to me by my pituitary gland. You have such beautiful parts, my loving uterus. We make such a great pair, just the two of us. (laughs) He's big into the AABB rhyme scheme. Full of tiny, life-giving eggs. You're the reason men stare at my legs. Uh, One day we'll go have a pap test together with the cold metal making us wish the next test was never. Just to be sure there's no cancer in my cervix, because I'm not so sure the doctor could cure it. (laughs) Riding the crimson wave isn't that bad, except when I'm hungry or bloated or mad. And if I use you in just the right way, we could make some money in exchange for a lay. There's more. (laughs) You're my every dream, my only wish, even if you do smell a little like fish. (laughs) In the end, you're my best friend whose pigment is red, and I hope you've enjoyed all that I've said. A lot of the writing that we hear at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids tends to fall into pretty straightforward categories. We hear journal entries, we hear poems, we hear short stories. 
that kind of thing. But every once in a while, somebody brings a less common format, like our next reader. When Brittany was in high school, she kept a dream diary. That is, a written record of her dreams. This one's entitled Jude Law. (laughs) I was sitting on a couch, and Jude Law was lying on my lap. I was rubbing his facial hair. Well, I'm pretty sure it was Jude Law. This one's entitled, Weird Trade. Me and an old lady wanted drugs. She got into a helicopter and traded a little boy in a bag that she was claiming was a dog for weed. I wasn't doing drugs at this point in my life. (laughs) I was in a store that was half a store, half a computer lab. The computers were advanced and interactive. Someone typed to me, I want to touch your arm. And this computer arm that was see-through and tingly appeared and touched my arm. I totally freaked out and logged off. This is entitled, Weird Biker Man. Me and my sister were biking in a field. I stopped at a picnic table, but she kept going. When I found her, there was a man who held me hostage and told me to wash his dirty pile of socks. I said that I would, and that's when he started to like me. A big part of growing up is finding your identity. And for a lot of teenagers especially, there's a fundamental tension there. Because on one hand, you want to be an individual, you want to be your own unique person. But on the other hand, there's this desire to fit in, to not be too different. Well, our next reader, Peggy, has red hair. And when she was 15, she wrote an essay all about growing up a redhead on Prince Edward Island. It's not easy living in this brunette-haired majority society, and life as a red-haired person is tough. We are constantly discriminated against. Do you non-red-haired people have any idea what it's like having red hair and living on Prince Edward Island? (laughs) Home of the beloved Anne of Green Gables? Sure, we feel a certain kinship with her, but that doesn't mean every red-haired girl living on PEI has all the characteristics of Anne. Do you non-redheads have any idea what it's like in the summer on PEI when all the tourists stare and point at you? (laughs) The year Anne of Green Gables the movie was shown on CBC was a tough time for redheads. (laughs) Rachel Lynn's You Redheaded Snippet rang out at us for years after. My teacher wrote a little note in red ink that says, you never stop talking in class, Snippet. Speaking of redheads on TV, why is it we are always portrayed as either an evil little troll or an extremely beautiful young woman? Most of us are neither. (laughs) People are let down when they meet us because 
because they already have a stereotype of our kind in their heads. Another problem with being a redhead is society's double standards. If someone made fun of a minority person's features, they would be very offended. Why is it any different when people make fun of our natural features, our red hair? Redheads must endure insulting names every day, such as Carrot Top. May I point out Carrot Tops are green. <laughs> <laughs> Cheese, cheese ball, puff head, and various other names involving fruits and vegetables. <laughs> Living the life of a redhead is sometimes lonely and cruel. <laughs> Two years ago, my equally redheaded sister and I were walking to our bus stop when three small brunette boys began yelling, redheads, redheads, while throwing rocks at us. <laughs> What are people teaching our future generation? <laughs> it's time for people to realize just how valuable we red-haired people are to society. After all, some of life's most important things are red. If it hadn't been for Rudolph's red nose, who would have guided, who would have guided Santa's sleigh? And think of the importance of stop signs. If it wasn't for... <laughs> If it wasn't for red stop signs, our traffic system would be chaos. <laughs> the life of a redhead isn't all bad. There are a couple of good things, like our gray hair doesn't show up as much as we get older, <laughs> and we always look and feel good in a kilt. It's just a matter of time until society realizes our value, and until then, we'll just have to wait. So brothers and sisters, stand up and say it loud. I'm a redhead, and I'm proud. Amen, sister. After the show, Peggy told me how her outlook on red hair and Anne of Green Gables has changed a little bit since writing that essay. Um, it's kind of funny now because I actually manage a tourism association here on PEI, and um, sometimes I do things like go to trade shows, and, and I inevitably get the Anne of Green Gables comparison. And, you know, Lucy Maud, the author, is a you know, world-class author that's from here, and so I have great pride in it now. I really, really do. Yeah, I guess at the time, it was, it was, there were a few frustrations when I was younger. <laughs> One of the things I love about this kind of writing is how it acts as a snapshot, a record of what you were thinking or how you were feeling at a particular time in your life. Writing preserves those feelings. It stops them in time, almost like an emotional fossil record waiting to be dug up and rediscovered. And if you gather together enough of those individual snapshots, you can start to see a progression. You can see how you've changed or, in some cases, how you've stayed the same. And that's why I love it when readers bring writing from different points in their lives. Like our next reader, Darren. Darren's dad was in the armed forces, so his family moved around a lot when he was a kid. And a lot of Darren's writing from his preteens all the way up through to his angstier years 
Well, it touches on some of the feelings that go along with moving around and feeling uprooted. Here's Darren. So the first piece is short. It says, I had a friend once. So a couple years later and a few moves later, I don't think my mood had improved at all. And I wrote this. I am a lamb led to slaughter. My soul knowing my fate, yet content to expel nothing but the insignificant braise lost among those of my mindless companions. My flesh to be consumed by this world, my bones dissolve so that all trace of my existence may be called from view as if never to have been. I do nothing as I live only for the end and amidst the shrieks of the ignorant dead in heartbeats I was never here. It gets better. So the next year, in another city, apparently someone had caught my eye. I I don't remember who, but I I wrote this poem. I don't know if I ever gave it to the person. Well, apparently I didn't. It's right here. (laughs) This is called Imagination. Sometimes within my mind, imagination runs amiss with images of rocky cliffs and a fleeting, breathless kiss. No matter what the season, it's always spring in here, with teasing thoughts of loving you beside streams crystal clear. And if I try to hold the thoughts of my times with you, even when I'm all alone, I smell your sweet perfume. You are my sweet temptress. My heart is in your hands. Your fingers tighten, then relax. Will you break this poor young man? (laughs) Gets a little salacious here. (laughs) You bend to lay it in a case. I don't know what. (laughs) Your neckline falls away. I steal a glimpse, then look away. For that may come another day. That's right. Then we are riding through a sunset sky. All my doubts scatter, all but why? Is this love or is it not? I'd rather know and not give up. Are you ready to let go? My heart says yes, and yours says no. So uh, my dad was armed forces, and uh, we did uh, we did move uh, really about every two years when I was smaller, and uh, of course that's uh, that's rough on a kid, uh, especially those teen years. I think uh, it's really hard to to lose a friend group and uh, and try and establish a new friend group, uh, especially if it feels at the time like you're doing it over and over and over. 
So, you know, looking back, uh, I think absolutely it, it played into the writing. Uh, like most Forces kids, you know, you, you have a lot of uh, lonely, quiet time. And uh, looks like I spent a fair bit of that time uh, <laughs> writing. If I had the chance to talk to that version of me, uh, especially the, 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 the dark version, boy, you know, I'd probably want to tell him that uh, just wait. Just wait, because, you know, this experience that you're having now as a young person is really going to inform your adult life and make you feel very comfortable uh, traveling, moving, uh, being in different places, and uh, really being able to enjoy the experience of, uh, of meeting new people and uh, meeting new places. I want to tell them that everything was going to be okay. Darren was not the only reader at our Charlottetown show who explored their darker side through writing. Our next reader, Jessica, brought along a few short stories written when she was 11. Now, these stories start out innocently enough, but then they take very sharp, very dark turns. Here's Jessica, first with a story all about Easter. Once upon a time, there was a man named Evan. He had a beautiful wife named Jessica. (laughs) Evan and Jessica had two children named Lauren and Todd. It was Easter morning, and the children had gotten up early to see what they got, but there was nothing. Why? They ran into their parents' bedroom, but nobody was there. What was going on? Lauren and Todd ran outside. They ran to the police station. When they got there, they saw there were over a hundred kids there. Just then, a chubby man in a police uniform and a donut in his hand came up to them (laughs) and said, okay, what's your parents' name and what do they look like? Lauren and Todd quickly told the man about their parents' most interesting features as the man tried to get it all down on the paper. Then a voice came onto the intercom and said, now calm down, kids, we've found out where your parents are. A few of the older kids groaned, but most of the kids clapped. (laughs) The man continued, you'll never guess who's got them. The Easter Bunny is going on strike, and he says he won't give them back unless we start paying him. (laughs) Lauren and Todd could not stand this anymore. They ran outside, called a cab, and drove to the Easter Bunny's house. Right away, they saw their parents. Evan and Jessica ran to their children, but just then the Easter Bunny came outside with a rifle and said, (laughs) He said, Nobody move or I'll blow these kids' heads off. (laughs) No, you won't, Jessica said, and she ran and kicked the Easter Bunny in the nuts. Careful, dear, Evan said, and he too ran and joined in the fight. Evan grabbed the gun and shot the Easter Bunny in the face. He's dead, Jessica and Evan said. Yeah, but everyone else said, Daddy, you just killed the Easter Bunny. (laughs) What are you so happy about? Evan said, you see, that was a bad person. He was not even a real rabbit. Evan finally said, but you can still have your Easter presents. Lauren and Todd looked at each other and said, okay. Then they went home and opened their presents. (laughs) 
And this last one is short and sweet. It's called Winter, and it was written on Wednesday, December 14, 1994. Uh, winter. There was a record snowfall that winter. It was so sad, many people died in the storm. I'll tell you what happened. It was near Christmas. The wind blew so hard that it blew everyone's arms off so that they could not eat. <laughs> They couldn't eat their food, and so many people died of malnourishment. But after a while, people's arms grew back because of some kind of scientific experiment conducted by the government that involves all of us. And that's what happened during the snowstorm. Our next reader, Rosalind, brought along a short story she wrote when she was 10. Now, a quick heads up. This story deals with the birds and the bees, or more accurately, the birds, the bees, and some horses. Here's Rosalind reading The Foal. Once upon a time, there was a horse called Duchess. Duchess was a pinto. One day the farmer said, today is breeding day. And all of the animals groaned. (laughs) Oh, be quiet. It's springtime and all animals everywhere are breeding. Come on, be happy. Okay, okay, replied the animals. Duchess had to be with Prince every year. (laughs) This year was different. This year she was with the best-looking stallion on the farm. All of the mares were happy for Duchess, and Duchess was happy, too. The stallion's name was Pied Piper. (laughs) Pied Piper asked Duchess, Will you be my wife? Uh, yeah, I'd love to, replied Duchess. Then they told the farmer that they wanted to get married. Sure, said the farmer. Thank you ever so much, they replied. Finally, the farmer put Duchess and Pied Piper into a special stall. (laughs) Where there there were curtains. made of garbage bags cut (laughs) cut in slits I guess it's time (laughs) said Pied Piper (laughs) it was time (laughs) because it was happening in all the other stalls Finally, it was over, and all the females were ready. A few months passed, and Duchess was in labor. The vet was there, and Farmer Jones was there. Finally, Duchess had her baby. Its color was soft brown with white patches all over its body. They had many adventures and lived happily. 
one of the things I love about Grown Ups Read Things They've Read as Kids is that we discover all these new genres of kid writing that we didn't know existed, such as accidental animal erotica. That's beautiful, beautiful. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Guild in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Poddington Bear. Special thanks to Sandy Nicholson, Peter Rukavina, and the Island Fringe Festival. And if all of this sounds like fun to you, be a part of it. I would love to hear the stuff you wrote when you were a kid. To find out when we're coming to your town, you can join our email newsletter at grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com. Our newsletter is the first place that we announce new shows, and our shows tend to fill up quickly. One more time, that's grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com or follow the links in the show notes on your device right now. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.